Good evening, and you're very welcome to another episode of the League of Ireland Women's podcast here on FinalWhistle.ie with myself, Brefney Early, and once again joined by the WNL show's Aaron Clark. Aaron, um, nothing's really happened this week. It's been so quiet. Um, there's been no cup action, no managerial changes. Uh, oh, no, wait, sorry. That's that parallel universe that I've been living in uh, over the weekend. It has, of course, been probably the busiest week of the non-footballing calendar uh, within the women's game over the last week or so. Uh, how have you been coping with all the news that's been breaking this week? Phone hasn't stopped hopping. Hasn't stopped and. You're trying to go about your day and every two minutes you're seeing notification, you're seeing someone else comment on someone else. And it's been a long time coming. It's been a big build-up. Um, the result that we probably all expected has come out. Before we get into the actual details, obviously Vera Pau has, has been uh, informed last night, or at least uh, we've been informed, uh, whether she has or not, I'm sure she has, uh, that her contract will not be renewed when it expires in a matter of days' time. I think she's out of a job officially tomorrow. Um, it's the least surprising news to anyone who's involved in the game probably over the last seven or eight months. This has been coming a while. Uh, we'll talk about all the ins and outs of it. There's been a huge public outcry supporting Vera. Um, we'll talk about that as well. But there's also plenty of other action we're going to be chatting about today on the show. We're going to be talking about last weekend's FAI Cup first round game, seven games in all, uh, fairly comprehensive victories for some of the teams against non-league opposition, a couple of interesting penalty shootouts, and a couple of games we're going to get stuck into as well uh, as this weekend's action in the League of Ireland Women's Premier Division as Paymount look to be on the march towards another league title. Just a handful of games left. Can they be reeled in? Um, Graham Kelly was rather... Uh, uh, fourth right on his views uh, on the, the cup draw the other day. He reckons it's a done deal. Female there to win it. Um, Mary Trasson and Nikiali maybe not quite so uh, sure that they can hold on. But listen, uh, lots to go. It's so good to have so many different stories in the Women's League this year, uh, this week even. Let's maybe, um, we have to start with Vera Pau. Um, we call this, we figure this was going to be the outcome that was going to happen. Um, is it the right decision, first and foremost? There's never any right decision. It was a decision we expected. Is it the right decision? In footballing terms, the answer is probably no. But because of the fact of what she's done for Ireland, we have to give her credit for what she's actually done, getting us to her first World Cup. She is going to be the most successful Ireland manager in, in terms of the women's game. There's no doubt about it. Was the football always pretty? No. Was it effective? Yes. The problem is, is what happens off the field? That's where the big problem has been. And it seems that it's it's followed her for it's followed her for quite a long time. The USA stuff in December was probably the real un, unraveling in terms of Vera. That's when we sort of thought, would she survive? The way she managed to negate through that, I was I was a bit surprised how easy she negated through that. Then when the second one came pre World Cup, you were sort of saying that's the final nail on the coffin. Contract negotiations sort of went on a halt. Then at that stage, you're hearing rumors: Will she go to the World Cup? Won't she go to the World Cup? what's going to happen. But in the end, it sort of just turned out to be a typical FAI in, in the sense that it was just let the contract run down, say as little, wait as long as possible. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of the outcry, the FAI probably have a bit of, a bit of blame in that, in that as well, because there was no real clarity. I think I get where the, I get where the clamor from the fans who are, who are, who are out in force to try and set to defend all veered on this, veered on that. But, if you notice the reaction, a lot of it is from supporters who maybe aren't necessarily involved in women's football. The reaction from the people who who are in the know or who know a little bit about what's going on, they sort of have a different a different understanding, and it's probably just run its course. Like I'll I'll be out and I'll be frank about this. I called for a head after the Ukraine campaign, after what happened in Ukraine. I thought when she when she said on live in RTE that her final resort was to bring on Ella Malloy and. Amber Barrett with a couple of minutes to go and she didn't make any changes and we and we lose that game and don't qualify for the Euros. That's when I sort of... But, you know, you had to get in behind the team. The, this campaign was brilliant. The draw in Stockholm and in Gothenburg was unbelievable. The, the win in Helsinki, what happened in Scotland. Like, listen, if it wasn't for Vera Pau and, and that squad, wouldn't have got a trip of a lifetime to a World Cup, wouldn't have got to see a lot of things. And I think she does deserve a good bit of credit as much as the players do as well. Let me pull you up on a few things you said there because I'm not a fan. I haven't been a fan. I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I felt we could have had better options at various points throughout the campaign. Sometimes, and I'm not saying this is the case here, but sometimes 
teams do well despite the management or despite the coaches. The players kind of group together and make a decision to to do X, Y, or Z with or without the coach's knowledge or approval sometimes. Um, okay, yeah, the, look at Spain. Spain won the World Cup while they were at complete loggerheads with their head coach. Um, I would suggest, you said at the very top, that on a footballing basis that she deserves to get another opportunity or that maybe it's not, not the right opportunity. Can I put it to you? that we went into a group with a team that we were super highly ranked compared to, which is Nigeria, who got out of the group. You can argue the toss about, as she did, about the ranking systems and the number of games they play in. And there's an element of, of truth to that. But in reality, a poor Canadian side who were all over the place in the build-up to the World Cup did not perform in the World Cup. We should have beaten them. We had them on the rack at halftime in that game. And then we had... We should have beaten Nigeria as well. We should have actually got out of that group, potentially even winning the group. It, was the World Cup a good performance from an Irish team? Because I personally don't think it was. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna step this back a little bit first, okay? The performances in the lead up to the World Cup were brilliant. The World Cup was a was a catastrophe. There's no denying it. Should we should have got something out of the Australia game? We should have got something out of the Canada game. And against Nigeria, we just decided that we we're just going to play 0-5 at the back with nothing to play for. She should have went for it. She should have changed. There's no if, buts, or maybe's. The three games in the World Cup, the tactical tactical decisions were poor. You look at I I can't, I just keep going back to that um, Canada game in particular. We should have been three 0 up at halftime before even before Canada scored. Should have been we should have been all over them. But we don't the the license to sort of go for it and to push on wasn't always there. And then you look at the substitutions against Canada are baffling. Bringing Lucy Quinn was doing very well for Ireland. She was involved in the build-up to the goal. And she's taken off at half-time. The players are, are a bit stunned at half-time when they see her, when they see Abby coming on. And no disrespect to Abby. Abby was quite was quite good against Australia. But that game was never sort of made for Abby. That game was was a, a lot more physical. And then you just look what the Canadians done. The Canadians brought 300-odd caps off the bench. They knew straight away, okay, lovely, we're going to go, we're going to capitalise on, on Ireland. And you just got to go back to what, what was said in the in the build-up to the first game by Tony Gustafsson. Ireland can see goals just after half-time and just before half-time. How many times are we getting exploited? And, like, the one thing that annoyed me in, in, with the World Cup and from, from a Vera viewpoint is the fact that she said pre-World Cup about making the mistakes pre-World Cup so we don't make them during the World Cup. A lot of mistakes that were made in the French game happened in the World Cup. There was no learning. There was no learning from it. Let's take a look at some of the positives of the campaign. Uh, Vera spent four years with the with the team. Uh, there's positives and negatives on both sides. So let's maybe talk through some of them because, like you said, most of the conjecture in the last 24 hours has come from people who who literally didn't know women's football existed pre Hamden Park in November. Let's talk about some of the really positive things that Vera brought to. Um, the FAI. I'll start. I think um, she unearthed a couple of really good talents in Marissa Shiva and Sinead Farrelly and brought them into the Irish fold. Okay, late on in the campaign, but I think they were two really, really good finds for Ireland. Kira Caruso, you could probably argue as well, but she was there, thereabouts in the Colin Bell era. Um, but we, we've cultivated players at the top end of the game in the US. Um, from your point of view, Scotland, Hamden Park was obviously a ma major positive as well, and the atmosphere that came out of that. Uh, your thoughts on maybe some of the, the really positive things that Vera brought to the equation over the last, to give it a balance, to be fair. Like, listen, I, I've said multiple times, like for me, the likes of Helsinki, Finland away was was a special, special night. Sweden away, the defensive display against Sweden, to throw Chloe Mustaki in there against Sweden, who nobody thought she'd do that, you know, and watch Chloe do what she did. Yeah, I think she she she's definitely she's definitely done a lot of po a lot of positive stuff for for the Irish women's national national team. Um, like for me, like, and this is why I don't want to clamber down the route of oh, get out Vera, good boy. You know, there is a lot of good stuff that has been done. There's a lot of things that she she tried to bring on some stuff from the likes of Colin Bell and tried to bring in more. Like there's players who got capped under Vera who were who were never capped before. She's tr tried to bring through a lot of players. Yes, there's players who are falling out with her. There's players who haven't been involved for, for, for reasons. Some are public, some aren't public. But I think there's a, there is a lot of positives that she has done. For me... Well, na name like, a few specifics. Like What what have you been impressed by? Obviously, the, you mentioned uh, Helsinki and, and, and Scotland. What else has she been really, really good at? 
I definitely think she's brought the she's brought the level up and in, in, in certain aspects and certain performances she's brought the level up. Like to have the to have the 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 confidence to go against seven top ranked nations teams and know you're going to get beaten before the start of a campaign to actually bring the levels up for me was a at the time I said it was madness, but when you look back on it, it was it was actually ingenious to actually help bring the level up. She's pushed girls on to make to try. I know, we, I know, we may, we may not like this, but to try and get players to be pushing to be playing at a higher level, to be constantly trying to grow, like she's definitely helped develop some some of these younger younger players, and like she seems to have taken a, a shine to, to certain other ones as well, and like it's hard to to, to quantify exactly just in, in words what she's done, but when you look at what when you look at the bigger picture to where she's taken us, we're at our highest ever world ranking. Like you said there about would we have done it without without Vera. I'm not sure we'd have qualified without Vera. I think, I definitely think that the World Cup performance is no doubt we could have done that exact performance without Vera. There's no doubt about it. But I don't think we'd have qualified. We'd have, we'd have qualified without. Her. I think there was a lot of lessons learned from that previous campaign in in the Euros where we were beaten by Ukraine away when we when we nil going to going to Kiev. We only needed a draw. Like there was a lot of lot of lessons learned. I think she's. She's tried to bring in some good people, but then some of her methods as well have been have been mad and maybe not, not what people like. But she's definitely cultivated the Irish the Irish audience. Sponsors love her. She's helped engage sponsors for the FAI, and I think that's a big thing as well. I was I was reading I was listening there today where they were saying that like the sponsor a lot of the sponsors wanted her to stay on because of the engagement that she has, and like even from a media viewpoint, listen, you're either gonna love her or hate her. Um, I've had times where I've absolutely been like, oh, I can't stand her. But the one you will say about her is she's always honest in, in press conferences, probably too honest at times. And your concern is you might get a, a new manager comes in, monotone, say, say very little. like, And then, then it becomes very hard. It might not necessarily be the worst thing in some people's eyes. We've let, Let's talk about some of the negatives because there have been plenty of incidents in the last few three or four years uh, that keep coming up time and time again. The report, we've talked it to death. We're not going to really spend much time on it today because um, we're both kind of of the opinion that maybe that was the, the, the nail in the coffin for her. Um, let's talk about some of the more specific intricacies of her relationship with the players within the, the team. We saw at the World Cup, after each game, there was a player almost systematically thrown under the bus as a... As a to blame for the results. So first game was Marissa Shiva and a mistake. I don't think she played badly, but um, she threw her under the bus. She threw Nifahi under the bus after the Canada game and, and, the, and the pace of the defence. Um, she also then in the, the last game obviously put both Sinead Farrelly and Katie McCabe, which has lasted for the last month um, in terms of a, the vitriol towards McCabe online is not fair and it's not balanced. We both called this departure way before the World Cup. That game, I believe, had nothing to do with the decision made by the FAI last night. That decision was made, in principle, weeks ago. They just let it ride out the contract. Uh, but the I think other... before, you go, before you go any further, and I just want to stress this, I was in that press conference. You've listened to the audio today from the press conference. The question was, was asked, and I've actually had this conversation with multiple League of Ireland, women's League of Ireland coaches now, and they say it happens all the time where players say, we need fresh legs. Katie never insinuated any sort of player. It was Vera who decided that she was going to bring the player up. She was going to name Sinead Farrelly. The journalist never named Sinead Farrelly. And the problem here is, is that that was a situation that was easily controlled by saying, I haven't spoke to Katie. I'll have a chat with Katie in the dressing room and we go from there. And that, that closes it off. But by yeah. her actually starting a, starting a war of words with a captain, when things are already tender and like for a lot of people, as, as you've said, we've called it for a long time that she'd be gone after the World Cup. For, for a lot of people, they, they jumped all over Katie thinking, oh, Katie this, Katie that. And like, don't get me wrong, Katie was wrong to tweet. But for the reaction that Katie's got off the back of that is actually, it's extremely unfair. It's extremely disrespectful to Katie as well. And like, I think both both sides there, Katie shouldn't have reacted, and Vera should have just called that in a in a in an environment. But then again, that goes back to the whole situation of, of what we've seen at times where these press conferences are the FAI haven't stepped in and said, lads, no more on this subject. Let's let's concentrate on 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 the football side of things. Or where there's been times where the press conferences have been allowed to go. And I think maybe the FAI have to look back and say, could we have Null and null and gated the situations a little bit better, potentially. And it was just the way it was allowed to fester during that during that post match. It was 
it was a real sad ending to but my point is these aren't just recent no. things Only no. thing I want to get to was uh, the f- travel plans home from I think the Ukraine uh, when we when the Irish team had to stop in Holland for a, an extended period to suit Vera's personal wishes that should never have happened um, the treatment of Tyler Toland, both within the squad, you can have your opinion whether you think it's right or wrong. It's the exact same complaint that's come up in the report from the NWSL in terms of uh, body shaming and diet discussions, inappropriate um, ongoings in relation to that relationship, but also the treatment of Tyler afterwards. At the end of the day, a 17-year-old girl, um, they communicate different than we do at, at our age and at, at Vera's age, and there should be allowances for that. I thought I thought it was, it's uh, reminiscent of that time when Robbie Savage was uh, asked why he wasn't getting in touch with John Toshak. Do you mean it's like going, he doesn't have a phone, how can I contact him? Um, We all communicate differently and I think nobody, Vera wasn't prepared to meet in the middle on that instance. I think that was a mistake. I think Tyler Toland deserved uh, a little bit more respect in that occasion as well. And I think we've seen that time and time again where individuals within the squad um, are are used for want of a better word or are just abused or eliminated at, at a whim. And I just feel that the respect wasn't two way uh, at all times with all players. Is that fair? I, I'm going to address the toilet column one now in a second, but I'm going to add to it a little bit. The one that sticks out for me this year alone is Deborah Dell, Deborah Dell and a half, Deborah and Della half was brought in from Australia had literally just landed in the country several hours earlier, thrown into international friendly, probably extremely jet-lagged, probably extremely tired, and then all of a sudden called out of it. Gone, see you later, never to be heard from again. To me, that's the sort of thing, things like where it's it's, it's wrong, it's it's not done right. The Tyler Toland situation, I was actually in that press conference as well. It was, it was after our first game in charge, and when we beat Ukraine at home, and you were sort of sitting there in a little bit of, disbelief as to what was actually being said what was what was going on now i'm going to play devil's advocate small bit on this okay i don't think from the from the tyler toland side i don't think it was handled well on that side as on that side as well but the, the problem here is dad helped the situation no. by it's going in two-footed on vera either. but the but the problem the problem here is is that Vera should never turn around and say the player has to, the player has to get in contact with me and, and this was the line she stuck with why not? Why not? If you don't want to get in contract, why not have an intermediary? You get in contract. Have a start the bridge of conversation. Have a conversation with the, with the young lady. Like the problem. The problem is, is that she was just called aside. It was she was the darling of Irish football at that stage. She came in, made her debut at sixteen against in the, in the campaign where we already played the Dutch. Played brilliantly against the Dutch, and then all of a sudden, boom, she's gone to start the next game as soon as. Fear comes in, and some of the comments that was made that day were they were wrong. They weren't. They weren't fair. They were, and you know when when I talk to players after, and players are sort of like they couldn't believe the comments were actually being the comments were made because like the body shaming on Tyler, like there wasn't a pick on Tyler to to use to use a to want to use a word like, and it just sort of started from there. There was other players who sort of who were playing well, and and then Emily Whelan went to Birmingham then gone on loan, hasn't been seen since. The one that stands out for me, and I, I can't believe she's never actually given her a proper opportunity, is Claire Walsh from Glasgow. She was unbelievable with PML and goals and plays with, with Glasgow, and you're sort of not really getting it, getting a look in. The problem was, it was always going to be a case that she either loved you or she hated you. There was no real... It was hard to find a middle ground with Vera that she, she, she players that she accommodate. And like, there was a lot of talk about player power there's a lot of talk about you know the players control the things but when you when you have a leader when you create a leadership group in a in a, in a dressing room you also you also give them power so you also you also be the one to say you have a certain amount of power by me creating this leadership group and you're in this leadership group so for me that's that's one thing that i think a lot of people aren't really taking taking a proper assessment of is the fact that she created a leadership she had created her own leadership group who were there and she, they had that, that bit of power. She would always go and consult the leadership group. She'd always go and consult. So that sort of player power is there because she's extended that olive branch to give them give them some power at the start. And like I think to say it's player power that, that forced her out was wrong. It's it's unfair on the players because there's an awful lot more than just that. And the problem is is that the general public and even a lot of sport a lot of people involved in Irish football unless you're really, really close to the situation, you won't know a lot of the stories that have been there. You won't know a lot of what's come out. 
And I think that's that's ultimately where people's opinions may change slightly when, when so many sort of things do come out. Like the one thing for me and from listening to Off the Ball today and where they're, where they're saying that like of the players who were asked, only supposedly only two players backed Vera. The rest said no. The FBI were sort of saying that it wasn't just due to it wasn't just due to that. There was a talk of the footballing style. It wasn't within what the FAI wanted to to have going forward. The one thing I will say, and this goes for whether you're in the pro Vera camp or you wanted to see her go, the next communication from the FAI relation relation to the Vera Power situation is key. Has to be detailed. Has to explain what went on, how they made the decision, because that's the only way that they're gonna get people to sort of understand how the decision was made. Do I think they'll do this? Absolutely not. No. They will say they will say the the bare minimum, and they'll wonder why in three weeks in three weeks this Saturday why the crowd isn't as big as it could be at the Aviva Stadium in Ireland. Welcome Northern Ireland, and so in the situations you have to say they haven't fully helped themselves. And like for me, the overriding arch and emotion from the whole lot is sadness because it, it's it's not good for it. the whole situation hasn't been good for anybody. The players look horrible in it. Vera, Vera looks horrible in certain senses. Other senses, the players look great. Vera looks great. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. I, look I, don't well. think, I don't think the players look horrible in this situation at all. I think um, I've been involved in those type of reviews after major international sporting events, and everybody has a little bit of of um, everybody has a little bit of a gripe at stuff. Now, I don't think it comes from a place of malice. I think it comes from a genuine wish for things to improve. Um, but we often see, and I would have been party to um, situations where individuals were called out for being subpar at the performance in their jobs. Had very little to do with how people thought of them as individuals, but just as performing in their roles. And um, and those people need to be moved on. And I think that's what's happened here. I, I think the fact that no player has come out and said thank you to Vera uh, publicly in the last 24 hours is so telling. Uh, there's not a single member of the squad, and I did a little straw poll across maybe a dozen players quickly on Twitter and Instagram today. Uh, not one of them even mentions the fact that she's gone. Never mind. Thank you. Uh, how I think- many? How many done it when when the reports come out? How many come out and back there then on socials? None as well. Yeah. So the players haven't. The players haven't done the telling sign in terms of the players backing her was when the players were being asked in uh, before the Nigeria game about what, do they back her do they back her or not. Certain players w- would rather talk about what they were having for lunch. The players who normally give you really long answers to things gave you shorter answers. It was as if, it was as if the players had had a conversation to say, we know this is coming. We know these these conversations are about to happen. And but as like, we said, and I don't want to spend the whole show talking about this because it's it's not pleasant uh, for anybody but we did talk about this weeks and weeks ago when the second allegations broke or the repeat allegations broke about the report in the US and that athletic article that came out and was fairly high profile at the time just in the build up uh, we both predicted the FAI were going to do it like this just say nothing say stum and just let the contract ride out and brush it under the carpet as if nothing happened I feel there's been a little bit of lack of leadership from the FAI on this but I don't think they'll care. I think they've got the result they wanted. I think if they were honest with themselves, they jettisoned the performance at the World Cup to save an international fiasco similar to what Saipan ended up being. Uh, I think this will brush under the carpet. I don't think we'll be hearing about Vera Pau in six months' time. Um, I don't think the interest level is there in the women's game, in the general public, that this will fester in the same way as the Roy Keane Situation is still being talked about. Twenty-one. So years. I'm going to ask you a question then. Okay. Yeah. Vera Powell is gone. We now know, and we'll probably discuss it in a minute. Eileen Gleeson is in his temporary charge. Eileen may get a couple of games, but how important now? Like for me, I'll give you my my assessment in a minute. How important now is it that this legacy of this World Cup is not the the, the conversation of Vera Powell leaving? To me, that's the question that I would ask people now. How important, and how do we get back on track to make sure that? the legacies about what's going to happen next for our football. I think the FAI need to take their time with the proper appointment uh, to that disposition. And I would be quite happy uh, for the FAI to forego the the Nations League campaign. Give it to Eileen. Give Eileen all the games to this side of Christmas. Start the recruitment process. Identify the person you or the people you want to ha- put in place. Uh, get the right person. Get them starting at the end of the year. For, for January, they might come on board and be appointed earlier, 
uh, but let them just analyse and, and observe what's going on within the Nations League and let them come into the proper qualifiers next year um, with a clean slate and with a bit of more knowledge on the game and, and not just throw them in for the sake of throwing them in because they're available. Uh, there's been players, uh, names mentioned in the media today as possible replacements. I've seen Casey Stoney's name mentioned. Obviously, she'd be a phenomenal addition. She's Kira Caruso's new coach at San Diego Wave, um, former Man United manager, former England international super, um, superstar for decades with the English side. She'd be phenomenal. Will she come to Ireland? Not a hope in hell. Uh, Matt Beard, is he going to leave Liverpool? Not a hope in hell. I, I think Matt Beard. I think Matt Beard would be the most foolish man in the world to, to to leave Liverpool because of what he's building. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's anybody in the WSL or the NWSL who's going to even consider taking the Ireland job at the moment. We have an aging squad. Uh, the average age, second oldest at the World Cup. Uh, we are probably looking at a raft of retirements come. Um, the next few months, probably this side of Christmas, as the Nations League w- winds up, we've already seen one in Anya O'Gorman. Uh, there's three or four names we talked about them the other day. There could even be potentially be half a dozen names who might not be here when the qualifying comes around. Nine players, the other side of thirty at the World Cup. Yeah, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a few of those call time on them on their careers. Uh, Sinead Farrelly is a big question mark about whether she'll come she back. Won't, she won't. She I won't. I spoke to her. I spoke to her. She won't retire. I spoke to her after the, the final World Cup game and what she said what she said is that she said if they have me back I'll be back. She she I sort think- of didn't want it to didn't want that to be her her defining moment and she's talked about like I wouldn't be surprised if she plays football in the end of herself for a couple of years. Well, she has had six or seven years uh, of a break, which does kind of save the legs, and she's not quite got the uh, the the weariness of a normal thirty-three year old. I think she'll be around probably till the uh, probably the next World Cup uh, is a genuine target for her, if not beyond. Mm-hmm. It. So we'll see her around. Marissa Shiva is only I think twenty-five. She has a she's a huge talent, maybe twenty-six. She's a huge talent as well. Um, but I think we've got a really bright future. But I can't see an established coach taking the role, and it's going to go down the way. Part of me would love to see someone from within the League of Ireland. I just don't know if we have anyone with the experience required. I don't even know if Eileen, and she's probably the most experienced coach from an Irish context, uh, I don't even know if Eileen is the right person for the job. I think she'll do a great job in, in the short term at keeping the keeping it going, but I, I don't know if Eileen is the, is the right answer. I don't know if you've seen the reaction to Eileen being named as the coach, or the interim coach. The reaction I've seen across our socials today hasn't been positive. And well, that's when that's when players, that's when people who've played football, fans, and I think a lot of this is probably down to the way the situation has been handled as much as people who maybe don't trust in her. I think it's circumstantial more than anything else. I've had the pleasure of working with and against Eileen. Um, we've shared players across squads, clubs and colleges over the years. We've faced off against each other in games, albeit 10, 12 years ago. Um, I think she has put a huge amount of work into studying the game over the last decade. I think she's a very good appointment in the role she's in with the FAI as the head of women's football. I would prefer her to, medium to long term, be focused on that job rather than worrying about an international team on top of it. We had that problem for 15 years in Ireland where Noel King and then Sue Ronan double-jobbed on both and you can't do both and you end up falling short on both. And I don't want to see the FAI going down that route again. Um, I think she's a very good appointment for the role she's in. I'd love to see her, after this short stint as interim manager, stay in that role and not come on and, and try and, and be both. I think that would be a disaster uh, for the game and for everybody involved. We need more people, not people taking the same roles or sharing jobs. That just doesn't work anymore. It's a bigger job than it used to be, and it needs to be that sole focus. I think this player uh, manager's potentially um, another international manager who's done quite well, who might come in from somewhere else. The, the guy in charge of the Philippines, name escapes me right now, um, did a phenomenal job with them. His talent ID across the across the world. I'm not a big fan of parachuting players in, but if you can get them uh, where they can make a contribution for eight or ten years, then absolutely. And the girls that came in for the Philippines were all early twenties, U.S. born, um, really good athletes, and they delivered on that by um, some fantastic performances at the World Cup. Uh, there are people out there, but I think the FAI need, need to cast that net really, really wide. Uh, have a look at some of the local people coming through there's definitely people with potential i know tom elms has been mentioned a few times um 
he's come in well with the women's internationals sec or as the assistant manager after Eileen left the role. Um, he did well at Wexford when he was there. Does he have the experience of that really top level group? Probably not. Does he have the potential to learn it? Potentially. I think so, if they're going, I think if they're going Irish, they're go, if they go someone from within FAI or within Ireland, I think the only candidate for me is Dave Connell. If they're going to go within Ireland, for me, that's the that's the most successful Irish-based manager, considering what he's done with the under 19s getting to the European Championship semi-finals. The one thing I will say, Breffney, and this is going to sound a bit of a, it's going to sound a bit of a, a bad one on the FAI, but for me. At the minute, the way things are going with women's football in this country, I just have a fear that we may miss the curve in terms of the, the upper trajectory. Yeah. Um, it's it's. I just don't think we're on the curve the way we should be on it. The way with the yeah. growth and the, the I think the, the, expansion. The, the FAI have have stalled on coach development because Dave Connell has been in that job for I I, I actually can't even remember how many years now, but it must be twelve years in that under nineteen role. And I think it's nobody has been able to get past that if you know what I mean in terms of development and experience and we have a very small list of managers and coaches in this country who have had the opportunity to work at international level and I think that ultimately is a problem for us going forward I can't see the the appointee coming from within Ireland but you never know the FAI do make decisions I think they've got this decision ultimately correct on this occasion regardless of how we got here I think it's a good time for a clean slate and uh, hopefully all will be all right uh, over the coming weeks. But it is exciting. Uh, let's talk briefly before we move on to the FAI Cup and the Women's National League fixtures for the weekend. Let's talk about the the friend or the, the Nations League game against the North in a couple of weeks because that really is the the future now for these girls. Uh, it'll be the first time back in camp after the World Cup. Uh, what can we expect to see in your opinion? I think realistically, the, the Nations League. The way, the way we are at the minute, the Nations League should be. I expect six wins out of six from the Nations League. I expect a good, I expect a good, great atmosphere at the Aviva. Ticket wise, at the minute, it looks as though they're probably out, they're probably over between ten to fifteen thousand. Looking at what's been on sale and what hasn't been on sale, for me, I think it's it's an opportunity to get out and watch the girls. So many people were saying they couldn't get the talent because of tickets for the French game. This is their opportunity. Do I think the FAI missed the boat? And I hate to complain about it, but in terms of ticket pricing, just to try and sell the Aviva, I think they may have missed the boat by charging 10 for kids and 20 quid for adults when you're trying to just get people in through the gate. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's a, it's a Saturday afternoon. Um, they fly directly that night then to Budapest for the Hunger Game on the Tuesday. Looking forward to getting back to international football, to be honest with you. Um, looking forward to seeing what the Nations League holds. It's the first time ever that it's going to happen for... For, for the women, so to see what way it way it works and how how Ireland progressed through it'll be be interesting. I think the squad the squad could be anything. Will Eileen go tried and tested? Potentially, could we see a couple of faces come into it? Maybe. I'm not convinced that she's going to name a 28 29 player squad the, the way Vera did, and I don't think she'll bring four goalkeepers either. Eileen, of course, uh, well known to some of the players in the squad from their P-Mount days or even their Women's League of Ireland days. Um, can we expect to see any players from from that group come back into the fold? Like uh, we saw Neil Gorman come back maybe three years ago into the international scene. Um, are we likely to see anyone reverse their decision to retire? Could we see anybody? Could Karen Duggan maybe make a return to the, the national fold? There's not a hope Karen Duggan comes back. I wouldn't have thought so. I was just really asking. I spoke, I remember speaking to Karen at the start of the last campaign and she was brutally honest with me and she said, if I wanted to play for Ireland, I'd have to move abroad and be a professional footballer and considering considering the, the, the opportunity she had, not just the media, but in her, in her personal job, her personal life, I don't blame her. Um, I don't really expect many experienced players to sort of do a U-turn. I can't see only doing a U-turn now, just that Eileen's in charge of them a couple of games. It'll be interesting more to see if anybody else decides to hang it up or decides to, to go on again. Like, And I've said this before, and I don't mean to sound bad when I say this, but it's too hard for a player to retire at the minute um, in terms of the financial incentives as well that are there for a player if they make an international squad. It's too difficult for them to even turn around and say, you know what, I can't because the money that's on offer... Like for some players, if they're not earning an awful lot, is is nearly it's nearly enough to survive for a couple of months if they get into an Ireland squad or two. And I don't blame them as much as I've said to you on the podcast before, and I'll, I'll reiterate it again. I think these squads going forward now shouldn't be credit in the bank from previous performances or previous things that you've done. It should be all about 
are you playing for your club? Are you playing well? If you're playing, yes, you deserve an opportunity. If you're not playing, then you either need to go and speak to your club manager or you need to go and sort something out. But you shouldn't be in an international squad if you're not playing for your club. Same can be said about that's being said. That's what we said about the men's football at times. And like the one thing that this shows is, and I, I'm 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 in the Stephen Kenny fan club, but this shows that the way the FAI have gone about Kenny and Vera, that's probably why there's an awful lot more of the 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 whole situation around Vera because of the fact that Kenny's been given so much time. So for me, I think the squad selection will be very, very interesting for these games because I, I think it's I think you're comparing apples and oranges there. I think to compare Stephen Kenny with a team from effectively the championship and the lower reaches of the Premier League, um compared no, to No, the- what I'm what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say here is this is why the fan a lot of fans are clamoring. Like I'm I'm you know, and they're clamoring because Kenny's been given time and she hasn't been given time. That's why a lot of them seem to be clamoring. But I don't, I don't agree with it either. I don't think you can compare the two of them either. But I'm just saying that that's why some fans seem to be having a bit of a gripe as well, a gripe as well about the situation. But I do think the squad is important. Brilliant. Get your tickets. The FBI, if you're listening, and I know you do from time to time, um, we would love to see every single underage youth team, female youth team in the country, cancel all football that day for girls, get every team on a bus, get them to the Aviva, make it attractive financially, a hundred euro ticket for a team and a couple of coaches. I think you'd fill the place. That's the most important thing now in the next three weeks is to get 40,000 people into the Aviva and make that place absolutely home. Even if you have to go up north and do the exact same with all the teams in the north through the um, Irish Football Association, make it happen. It's time now to really show we're filling stadiums internationally. Let's do it at home. Vera or no Vera, let's move on. And, and Two things on this though, Brefn, yep. two things on this. Walking into the stadiums, so for example, walking into the stadium, Australia Olympic Stadium in Australia for the first game and seeing so many people there for women's football, walking into an internet, England international where it's packed, there's nothing that fills you more with joy to see people coming to, coming to watch women's football. So for me, it's really important that we start to create this legacy, this momentum to get these sort of things to where it becomes attractive to use the Aviva two, three times a year to play games. And it's, and you know, we're talking about getting crowds in excess of 30, 40,000 every game. I think that's, that has to be the, the ambition and the eye, the eye forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's move for, to more domestic matters. And of course, uh, over the last couple of days in terms of the weekend, we had some pretty big games uh, across the first round of the FAI Women's Senior Cup. Uh, some non-league teams in action. We saw Bonnie we saw Kalesa uh, Johnny Carney, Cabin Teeley and uh, Terranure Rangers all take on league opposition it didn't end too well for them, Aaron. Um, for the second consecutive season, I think we had four non-league teams and didn't manage to score a goal between them, uh, shipping some pretty big numbers, 29 goals in total against, um, or 26 goals, maybe 27 goals against in four games. It's it's not working, is it? No, the gap is, the gap is much bigger than it's ever been. And that's the problem. The gap is getting bigger and getting bigger. It's constantly growing. It's constantly going to expand and like how do you sort of as much as it's a big day out for some of the some of the clubs and some of the players who've listened they've rightly qualified for the FAI Cup by getting to the semi-finals of the Intermediate Cup but like how do you how do you go about when you're you know you're, you're taking such a you're taking such a heavy defeat like for Bonnegie United to lose the, the Intermediate Cup final quite convincingly to Terranur and then go out to ship 11 against Sligo Rovers like what benefit is that even? What benefit is that even to Sligo? Because it's not even a competitive game for Sligo. Like Casey Howe and Emma Doherty, yes, they filled their bag with five goals each, but it's not it's not competitive. Like Shamrock Rovers against Donny Carney Colester is easy as they wanted. Eight 0 probably could have been a lot more. Cork City winning five 0 Cork could have scored ten or eleven easy. And the thing about it is, like you look at that Terran your team had several players who have played. League of Ireland football before the likes of Jess Turner, who was probably their best player by a mile. But like you could just see the differences like in that game, Terranure just wanted to sit off them, allow Cork to have the ball all they want. Ellie O'Brien and Eve Mangan just ran the show. And realistically, Danny Murphy would be disappointed going in one 0 up at half time. Yes, they scored four goals in the second half, but like on another day they scored ten, they scored twelve, they scored thirteen. I think the, the one surprise of the weekend in terms of them... I want to ask you about that because I was very impressed with Cabin Teeley, uh over the weekend. Uh, they really, really put it up to Bohemians in that game and probably restored a bit of faith in the teams at that level. 
the funny thing is, is that every, that was the one game that everyone was saying that could be the biggest scoring game for the fact that if you just compare compare the teams, I know you're comparing. It's 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 difficult when you're doing that sort of thing. But like Terran, you're beating Cabin Teeley six one in the in the semi-finals of the Intermediate Cup, and Cabin Teeley shipped a big couple of results against teams like that before, and then see what Cork done to Terran, you're in it, see what Cabin Teeley done for me. It was great to see that it wasn't a landslide because I think it sort of helped to finish off the final round, the the, the final games on a, on a on a bit of a better note, especially when you're looking at Sligo Rovers against Bonaghy United at the same time, and you're sort of like you're, you're constantly seeing the score, the score, goals go in. You're sort of you're grimacing the more and more, and then you're seeing Bowles sort of taking it to the second half before they before they score against against Cavan Like I think the days of us seeing. And as much as as much as this team back in the day, the Shelburne under eighteen team, as much as that was a bit of a, how would you say, nearly a, a good enough to be to be a, se- a second string uh, women's national league team at the time, beating Cork City, y- y- you'll struggle to see shocks in the in the cup dish in the cup nowadays. Like you can remember back a couple of years ago, the likes of Wexford Wexford scoring fourteen against Manula. We've seen in previous years Douglas Hall didn't feel the last year against Sligo Sorry. Rovers. Your concern is. Is things like that going to happen a little bit more where these sort of teams don't feel because the fear of what could happen? And then who does it? Who does it benefit? Like the FA Cup is, has its traditions. Before the League of Ireland started, we've seen the non-league teams that were winning, and we've seen all that. But who who does it? It doesn't benefit anybody to see these sort of big hidings as much as we all want to see these sort of teams in it. Like how do you sort of how do you combine? Or how do you how do you fix it? There's no easy answer to fix it. That's that's the unfortunate thing. No, particularly when it's the teams that are struggling at the bottom of the table in terms of like Cork and, and Sligo who are handing out these big hammerings. It's not like it's the top sides. Okay, Shamrock Rovers did win comfortably, but it's not just the top sides that are, are beating these sides. Sligo played the finalists in the Amateur Cup. You should be expecting that to be more level than it is at the moment. 11-0 is completely out there. Um, but it is what it is. Like you said, I don't think it benefits anybody. Um I was particularly impressed, I have to say, on the Cabantini side, um, a couple of players stood out for me. I thought Claire Marie O'Reilly, don't know anything about her, uh, but she really impressed me in flashes for Cabantini. But there was a number of players who played for them. Of course, um, Orla Harren involved with the dubs as well. Uh, she was out at the weekend. So it's. Um, they, I just was really impressed with them. They've, they've been around before, some of the players. Uh, but they really put it up to Bowes and, and made Bowes work for that quarterfinal spot. But they have got that quarterfinal spot, and now they face Sligo in uh, three weeks' time or two weeks' time. Uh, at Lone, they host P-Mount. Cork City will be at home to Shamrock Rovers, while DLR Waves, their reward for a penalty shootout victory over Wexford is a trip to Talker Park. And it's going we, haven't to be- even, we haven't even mentioned the two all-Premier Division games that went, that went to penalties, and the other one went to extra time. <laughs> the three all-Premier Division games went to extra time. But they, they were really, really good games in terms of uh, treaty. How good was that performance? Uh, and I know we've had Alba on the on the um, on the, the podcast here this year. Um, he's a former P Mount coach. There's a couple of uh, Sarah Duke Power moved down recently. I thought she had a great game at centre back for Treaty. Uh, there's been a few who've, who've defected for want of a better word to Treaty from P Mount. Um, I know they didn't win. I don't really. Put much sway in moral victories myself, but it is a huge moral victory for them. That uh, the expectation would have been that they would have been on the receiving end of a fairly heavy hiding. Uh, they weren't. It was a really good performance, and then they were unlucky, maybe not even to win it. The fact that they, the the fact that we're talking about treaty leading twice against P Mountain in, in an FEI Cup game that's the that's the big thing. And like you look at the fact when they played Shells and Talca Park earlier in the season, one nil. Like they, they've threatened, they sort of fell away a little bit, and then albums as sort of. Pull the plug a little bit, being like, okay, I need to rejuvenate, rejuvenate again during the off season. Brought a couple of players in from from a female viewpoint, though. The train of momentum is, is so important for them. Like they they limped over the line against Bowes the week the week previous, but the thing for them is it's just about winning game. It's just about winning games. Like when they go back into league action, they they finished with Shamrock Rovers, finished with finished with Bowes, finished with with Shells. And like for them, I, I don't think James O'Callaghan will care if he wins three two after extra time or he wins one nil with an eighty nine minute winner. I think for them, it's just the fact of that they're grinding and they're continuing to stop. I'd like to see how Treaty get on in the next couple of weeks. Can they build up? Can they build that little bit of momentum? Can they build that bit of consistency? I know they've still got a couple of games against teams in and around them as well. Can they get them sort of results and get them sort of points? That'll be the interesting, the interesting observation to keep an eye on on that one. But like. To see other games, the likes of the DLR, 
I don't think anybody would have expected DLR to be Wexford considering what happened the week previous when they were beaten 4-1 and beaten quite convincingly in the league and then the sort of reverse and be near be nearly as if they were they were gonna win the game and then it goes to penalties, are sort of like it's 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 madness and but the only thing is Ipandana steps up in the shootout and saves a crucial penalty to put them into the hat and it's no surprise with Eve, she's one of the most quietest people you'll ever meet, but when she's between them two sticks, there's uh there's no one there's no one who you who, who you wouldn't really you wouldn't really better you wouldn't really bet against her. In terms of the quarterfinal draw, Shells DLR, Cork, Shamrock Rovers, Bows, Sligo Rovers, Atlow and Piemont, who's coming through those ties? Ooh, that's difficult. That's difficult. Um based off right now, I would say Shells, Bows, Rovers, and the last one's a toss up. Interesting, interesting. Uh, we interesting to see how that all pans out over the next couple of uh, weeks. Of course, you did mention that the two Sligo girls got five goals each. Uh, Abby Larkin, of course, four for her as well. Erin McLaughlin twice. Rihanna Jarrett, Fiona Bradley and Lisa Murphy all hit the back of the net twice in those opening round games as well. Uh, a range of players then managed to get on the score sheet from across the other games. Interesting. Just while you're looking at stats, though, you're looking at goal scorers. An interesting one for you. Seven years ago yesterday... Lisa Murphy scored two goals for Shelburne under 18 when they beat Cork City 3-2 in the FLA Cup in that shock. <laughs> well, we clean sheets at the other end as well. Uh, Jessica Berlin, Rachel Kelly, Katie Keane and Bonnie McKiernan, um, they all kept clean sheets. You're missing one. Uh, I probably am. I'm missing... Uh, Claude Fitzgerald. She's only 15. Yeah. 15 uh, years in goal, in goal for Cork. Um, sure. Breffney. You're showing nearly up play- our stats, Aaron. You're showing up our stats, but you're right. You got <laughs> nearly played, nearly played as, a, as an extra centre back at the weekend. Um, I think she made one save in the game. Looked for for a young fifteen year old. Looks so comfortable, so at ease between between the posts and sort of composed on the ball. The one thing I will say about Cork this year, and I think Danny Murphy deserves a lot of credit. He hasn't been afraid to throw the kids in and give the the younger players an opportunity. Like we. We laugh when we when we look at the likes of Eve Mangan, captain in Cork. Eve's only I think Eve's only eighteen. Unbelievable talent. Um, Kira McNamara, I think, is their most experienced player, like twenty two, probably about twenty two. Like it's madness when you look when you look at that sort of thing. That they're so young and they're taking a step. I think I think while we've given them criticism this year from watching them at the weekend, you can see a lot of the things that they're improving on, but there's still a bit of a way to go for them and like. It's great to see that we're seeing all these younger kids getting an opportunity. Of course, there was some other action involving Irish players around the globe over the last few weeks with the resumption of some of the competitions, uh, primarily in England and uh, across the continent, uh, but also in America. Kira Caruso made her first and second appearances for uh, Angel City. Uh, she got on the score sheet uh, in her, their game on Saturday evening. You mean San Diego Waves? I do mean San Diego Waves. <laughs> right. Um, I think I've got the wrong logo in for her on the on the on this thing as well. But uh, Kira Caruso, her first goal of the season, fifty minutes of appearances so far. But Sinead Farley was uh, involved with Gotham, Marissa Shiva, an unused sub in that particular game. The championship, of course, in England, that kicked off as well, and we see some of the performers. Uh, all these stats and all these game information available on our website, finalwhistle.ie, and then in uh, in Denmark, Debran de la Harp. You mentioned her earlier on. She. Uh, uh, played 84 minutes in their game. Um, she plays with uh, HB Koiga. I don't know if that's pronounced right, but uh, I'm going to go with it anyway. Uh, they um, had a, a their opening game of the season while in Belgium with two Irish players playing for Standard Liège, Kieran and Amber Barrett, and their 1-0 win. Neither on the score sheet, both picking up bookings, as you'd expect from two good Irish players uh, on the continent. Uh, Scotland has been ongoing for a while. Emily Whelan, uh, she got a goal uh, the other day. And uh, Caitlin Hayes, of course, uh, a Celtic player. Not Hasn't played for Ireland, but in the list, purely because she has declared an interest and is eligible. Um, but we've seen Claire Walsh, you've mentioned her already, and Kira Grant, uh, they've also been involved. You can get all that information, as I said, on finalwhistle.ie. Uh, check us out there at your own leisure, all those girls' profiles and international records and stuff like that all over there. In terms of the actual uh, Women's National League, it feels like forever since we've actually spoken about it, but we do have uh, the current league table. Let me just zoom out there and make it a bit better, easier to read for us. Uh, that's the wrong one to do. There we go. Uh, so we have... Uh, 
Cork City uh, bottom of the table, but at the very, very top, P-Mount still uh, six points clear from Shells, nine clear of Shamrock Rovers, albeit with a game in hand. Uh, those three, it looks to be really all that's left in a meaningful way in the title race. Bows probably just a little bit too short. Uh, and in fact, as Graham Kelly said during the week, Shells and Shamrock Rovers might also be a little bit short behind them. Nine points for them to clear up in five games. It seems unlikely given the run-in that P-Mount have now in the final four games. I think P-Mount of Cork... Think of Sligo, Treaty, DLR. I think they've most of them teams still still to play to play in the in the in the in the running. But like you look at that, you look at that league table, Bethany, Piedmont have won twelve out of fourteen games. Yeah. I think that's what stands out. The one the loss against Shells, the draw against Shamrock Rovers, other than that, they've won every other game against every other team. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for them. Like, yes, the big the probably the, the biggest game there, as you can see, is wet wet. Wex reduced, but if you pull that pull that up for me for a second, the one yep. thing I will say is, and Shell still have to play Shamrock Rovers, but like P Mount still having Wexford at loan, they're probably the two biggest fixtures from them. Uh, at loan under a little bit of a rejuvenate rejuvenation at the minute. I think Galway um, away is a bit of a scary one as well, potentially. Like when when we look at it, yes, they're in pole position. On paper, should they win all the games? Yes. Will they win all the games? That's the big. That's the big question. And I think for them, they could afford to drop points in two games because realistically, it's difficult to see Shells and Shamrock Rovers winning every single every single game between now and the end of the season. Because when the two of them meet, one of them is obviously going to drop points in the in the game, or both of them are going to drop points. So from from a female viewpoint, I think it's just keep consistent, keep going. One get the one thing they talk about is one game at a time and. The DLR game this weekend is probably it's 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 the biggest one for them. And like I think I hate to say it from a Shell's viewpoint, but Shells haven't got an easy game this weekend against Athlone. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if Shells potentially drop points against Athlone. I think Rovers will come through against Cork easy easy enough. Um so like I wouldn't be surprised. And the fixtures these days, like when you're looking at the table, the bottom team, I think Cork are minus twenty-four goals. If you look back at previous years, at this stage, after so many games, you might have seen teams at minus 50, minus 60. And that's the biggest difference this year is that when, when they're losing, yes, we've seen Treaty ship two heavy defeats. But other than that, we haven't seen any team ship massive, massive goal, massive, massive amount of goals in games. And I think that's that's been the biggest difference in the league. And like the next couple of weeks, there's what? There's two more rounds of fixtures before the FAI Cup and then the, then the international break. So it's a, still a little bit stop-start in the league. And... While we while we say Piedmont might have one hand on the trophy, this weekend is a is a, is a is a tricky one just to get out of the way first. Six games left. Can Piedmont be caught? I don't think so, but it's up to them if they if they get caught. If they if they if they continue with the resilience that they they've had, like the biggest thing about the Bowes game last not last week the week before is if that's last year or that's if that's last year they lose that game or they. They drop points where the biggest difference is I think they're able to continue to go until the very last minute. And that's that's the biggest thing compared to compared to last year. I think last year they were the last couple of years they were probably had a little bit of a psychological scar over what happened when when Galway beat them five five two on that on that, that influence night in PRL Park. And like the big the big hur- hurdle for them, and I said to James O'Callaghan was the fact that they finally won a game live on TG Carr at home. You could you could see that like as that game was going on, I was like, "Oh no, this is gonna, this is gonna keep going." But I would expect Piedmont to win the league. I would expect Piedmont to win probably five of the six games that they've left. Let's talk through the games of the weekend. Shells and Athlone, probably the tightest game of the weekend. I would expect um, Shells have lost Jesse Stapleton, obviously. Um, and they lost Katie Keane as well, who wasn't playing. Who seems to be playing well for Athlone. Yeah, could she be the, yeah, the could one she who comes back? <laughs> On, uh, on Saturday, like that's the sort of stuff we want to see happening in the league a little bit more. It creates the drama. Creates we don't want to necessarily see Shelburne fail, but we want to see players moving around and and creating drama and creating stories and actually having meaningful drama around these games. But could Katie Keane upset the apple cart at the weekend? Potentially, the only thing from a Shelburne viewpoint is they brought on a lot more players from from abroad again who wouldn't necessarily know the league. That's obviously going to be a concern. For Shelburne, I think this game is important, not necessarily for the result, because as much as they want to win the game, I think Shells need to build a bit of momentum ahead of Tuesday's Champions League game. I think that's that's important. And I think 
it's the ideal fixture for them to come in because they know they're not going to have an easy rollover test. They're going to have a a, a battle against a Kieran Kilduff and obviously Ken Kieran is, is with Shell is with Athlone who has coached a lot of the Shelbourne underage players and has been involved with Shelbourne for a number of years. So he'll know an awful lot about them and there's no doubt it'll be a, it'll be an extremely difficult task for Shells. I wouldn't be surprised if they drop points in this one. It'll be a big, big uh, game if they do. Bowes Galway, two sides, both in form, reasonably good form. Avenir Cup sports uh, winners recently from Galway's point of view. Of course, disappointment in Belfield last week, but uh, Bowes have been impressive this season. Um, is this kind of a, an opportunity for both to kind of put their name forward for being best of the rest outside of those top three sides? The winner of this more than likely finishes fourth place. It's as simple as that. The winner is more than likely finishes. If Bowes can get the win, they, they get the, the points back that they dropped against Peamount. If if they don't, you'd have to fancy Galway to be finishing be finishing fourth. And from from a Bowes viewpoint, obviously bringing in Rachel McGrath and bringing in Kate Moon, uh, Katie Malone from from DLR Waves and Peamount respectively, they've they've strengthened in the window. Galway losing Gemma McGuinness. It's it's one of them that you'd have to say that. The game against the, two, the sides played earlier in the season, if you remember back to the goal that Bowes scored to win it, it was the keeper kicked the ball off Sarah, off Sarah Rowe and it went overhead and went in. There was nothing between them. That was when Galway were off to a bit of a sluggish start. It's a completely different Galway team now. They have a bit of form. Yes, they lost a penalty shootout against that loan, but I think Galway will come up to Dublin. They'd be, they'd be well motiva- motivated. and I, I, I can't see very much between these, these sides. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a draw again. Cork City and Shamrock Rovers. Shamrock Rovers need three points. Cork on reasonably good form after their win at the weekend. Um, Rovers would go into this game as big favourites, but can Cork upset them? Cork will need to be a lot better than they were against Terran York to upset them. Like You look at the, the first half of the display when they played in Tallaght, Cork were brilliant. The first half, second half, they fell away. It's going to be a big... A big, big ass, both mentally and physically, from a Cork. They'll have to be fully switched on. Be interesting to see from a Shamrock Rovers viewpoint if Teague and Rudy players haven't been announced as a signing this week. Didn't play Savannah McCarthy. Couple of players sort of didn't start against against Donny Carney, Calester. So from a Rovers viewpoint, treat nothing short of three points is good enough. They should get them, but I think Cork are making competitive for for a period of period of time. Teague and Rudy surprised to see her go to Tala rather than maybe back to Piedmont. If it wasn't a professional league, I'd say I'd say no. But because of the fact that Rovers can offer what Rovers can offer, I'm not surprised. Final game is the game live on TG Cahar on Saturday evening. 7.35 kickoff in the showground. Sligo Rovers versus Wexford Youths. This has thrown up some big results between these sides. Least of all, uh, not least of all, should I say, uh, Sligo's win over Wexford in um in the showgrounds last year in the league, uh, big penalty save from Amy Mahan, of course, no longer with Sligo. Um, can they repeat that? It's been a very different uh, set of results for both teams in the 12 months or so since. Last time these sides played, obviously, you said they won. Um, the last time, oh, sorry, the last time they played in, in oh, yeah. showgrounds, the yeah. last time TG Carr was in the showgrounds, Sligo also won. Two good omens, but unfortunately, I can't see Sligo winning this weekend. Yeah, the big win last week in the league, but I think it's a different a horse of a different colour this weekend as Wexford come to town and they'll be smarting from their penalty defeat in the cup last week after uh, uh, good runs in that competition in recent seasons. Uh, in terms of that for the week, um, it's been kind of just one of those weeks, really. There's loads of stuff we probably haven't got to within the league as well. A couple of new signings coming in uh, been announced during the week that we haven't got to in Athlone and in Shells and a few other places as well. Um, but I suppose dominated by the news last night of the departure of Vera Pau. Not necessarily unexpected departure of Vera Pau, but uh, there's plenty to be heard and to be said about what's gone on in that dressing room. Will we hear more of that report? I strongly doubt it. I think the FAI will be quite happy just to close that book, stick it on the shelf and never look at it again. Uh, they've got to the end result. How we got there, I don't know if we agree with it or not, but we are there now. It's a fresh start. Eileen Gleeson is in for the next two games minimum. I'd imagine she'll probably see out the entire campaign in the Women's um, Nations League, but it's going to be a, an exciting time for the FAI and for the women's sport as they decide the next steps. Uh, your thoughts, Aaron, where do you think we're going to end up um, in the women's context? Uh, honestly, I couldn't even tell you because that's the problem. 
Don't if we? the FA, if they have the budget, can they can they get someone good? If if the budget's not there, they'll probably end up going with the cheap and easy option. I hope I hope they don't. I hope they can stretch it out. But I don't think anything will happen until at least after the AGM this this year's FAI AGM. Um, I think it'll be at least that before before we see any changes. Absolutely. Listen, that's it from us this week. We we'll talk to you again next week.